morning, everybody. Great to see you guys this morning. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we're glad to have you. We've got a special treat this morning. I'm sure some of you are here for this treat. It's uh, Dr. Brian Thomas from uh, Institute for Creation Research is going to be sharing with us in three sessions this morning and kind of diving into the question of uh, how faith and science intermingle. You know, the world tells us they don't. The world tells us that faith and science are not compatible at all. But I think Dr. Thomas is going to shed some light on that for us today, and we're looking forward to it. But we want to start out by worshiping the Lord together, amen? All right, I want to kick that off by reading a little bit of Scripture. And um, if you guys want to turn with me, you can. It's Colossians 1, starting in verse 15. For Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything. In the heavenly realms and on earth, he made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. That's us. He is the beginning. Supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything. In heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So guys, if you're here this morning and you are grateful that the creator and sustainer of the universe is also your savior, that by his blood we have redemption, that we get to spend eternity not separated from God in hell but walking with our creator in heaven for all of eternity. If you're grateful this morning, let's stand. Let's stand and let's lift his name high. There is no other name given among men by which we may be saved, but the name of Jesus Christ, amen? amen. Guys, everything that exists, we just read it, everything that exists, us, we exist. When you go out these doors, all the beauty of the foliage, of, of the fall colors, the sky, everything, the, the universe, everything exists because he exists. He is worthy. He is more than worthy of every ounce of praise we can lift to him this morning. And guess what, guys? He's listening. This morning, he's listening. So with everything we have, let's declare that we believe there is no other name. Amen. Greatest one of all 
in one. I'll turn this wild town as we lift him up. There is no Robbie's going to come up and introduce our next guest. Good morning. I'm very excited to be here, and I hope you'll join with me in that excitement. We have got uh, a very special services planned for today, and we want to welcome all of you here that uh, may be visiting, but we especially want to welcome uh, some special visitors who are going to be giving us some special music this morning and leading us along with some more praise and, praise and worship. We appreciate the band, what they've already uh, uh, done this morning, and how they've already gotten us kicked off. This is Dr. Juan Sanchez and his lovely wife, Kristen. They are from Cocoa Beach, Florida. They are visiting us here today. They are co-workers of Christy Russell and myself at the Grace School of Theology, but they are extremely gifted, extremely talented uh, musicians, and they love praising the Lord and lifting high his name. So I want us all to join together and welcoming Juan and Kristen. Thank you. We're so happy to be with you all today. Would you all stand? We're going to sing a song this morning. Some of you may know it. Um, and if not, it's really easy, and I hope you catch, along, catch up and sing with us. It's called Every Praise. Every praise is to our God, every word of worship with one accord. Every praise, every praise is to our want to clap every praise is to our god every word of worship with one accord every praise every praise is to our god sing hallelujah sing hallelujah to our god glory hallelujah is to our Every praise, every praise, every praise is to our God, God my Savior, God my Savior, God my healer, God my deliverer, yes he is, yes he
when Kristen nodded at me, I thought, am I supposed to be singing in this? <laughs> we appreciate uh, Juan and Kristen being with us this morning, and um, it's always good when the church gathers to worship the Lord, and that's why we're here today. It's a very special day. Uh, two, uh, two years ago, I started researching who to have come to talk about creation. I think it's a lost subject in the church. It's one that uh, certainly deserves more attention than it gets, and so we're privileged to have Dr. Thomas with us today. I'd like to have a word of prayer, and then I'll introduce him. Let's bow together. Father, your name is above all names. Your word says there is none like you, not one, not one not even close. Father, this morning, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who was willing to take on the sin debt of man. As your word tells us, he became the satisfaction for the sins of the world. We thank you for the free gift of salvation by grace through faith. I pray this morning, if there's anyone here in this room that may not know you that today could be the day of salvation. And for those of us who know you, I pray that we would be challenged uh, this morning from your word as Dr. Thomas comes and speaks. We just want your name to be lifted up. We want you above all to be glorified. Thank you for everyone who's here this morning, for those visiting with us. And we just pray, Lord, that your name will continue to be honored. All these things we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. You may be seated. So two years ago, I began to research, and the Lord led me to uh, the website of ICR. And upon looking at ICR, there were several choices as to uh, the speaker that you could have come and so, you see the picture there. You see the bow tie? That caught my attention. But a guy who wears a bow tie, I need to listen to what he has to say. Um, just takes a lot of courage to wear one, and I'm thankful that Dr. Thomas is wearing one this morning. I think he did that for me. But um, we're so thankful to have Dr. Thomas uh, with us this morning. And um, Dr. Thomas um, went from evolution by studying the science that supports Scripture. And ever since then, his passion has been to encourage Christians to trust the Word of God. And uh, I had this opportunity to spend some time with him yesterday afternoon. One of the things that I don't remember if I shared with him or not, but has been on my mind is... I'm thankful for the time that he spent in his life studying and researching. All of us in this room benefit from that. A lot of people around the world benefit from that. So without any further ado, Dr. Thomas, you come and speak this morning.
Thank you, Pastor Blunt. Good morning, everybody. Well, isn't this fun? There's like very few seats available, but there's front row available <laughs> right here. And um, you, if you do sit in the front, though, you will need a spit shield because I get excited. <laughs> Just raise it up when I get excited and protect yourselves from the spray. Uh, well, our first um, subject at at hand this, this morning is, um, has to do with where we came from. I mean, isn't that pretty fundamental, like where we came from? Uh, I, I used to believe what I, the only thing I was told, which was we came from apes, came from apes. And where did I get this belief? Uh, media. I mean, everyone believes it. Um, and I remember in particular, I was in elementary school and my parents weren't paying careful attention to what I was watching. And one day I watched this really bad show, I don't recommend it, um, but it was called Quest for Fire. And the show, it's, it's uh, crazy, but um, not a single word of dialogue. And they dressed these actors up in, you know, ape-like suits, and they just, they walked around and, uh, uh, and grunted. Uh. But I'm a little kid, and I'm watching this, and, and they're grunting, and they're, they're dragging clubs, and this, is, this must be where I came from. Ape-like ancestors. I guess I came from apes. After all, it's in the movies. <laughs> but no one said, no, that's just fiction. In fact, that portrayal got reinforced over and over. School textbooks, uh, museums. So that by the time I started to reconsider where I came from, by the time I started to, to, to wonder if Genesis can be trusted... Then I, then I had this dilemma, right? Because on the one hand, I came from natural processes through apes, fish to apes to me, naturally. That's what I was taught. But on the other hand, this is a supernatural creation process. God did it uh, supernaturally, not naturally. And then he made Adam and Eve, and then I descended from them. Totally different stories, two completely different histories. Which one do I go with? And I, th and I thought, well... I, I, I better look at the science because maybe there's science that supports this natural version of history. And so that's what we're going to do today is look at the science. And in particular, I want to train you up so that by the time you finish this session, in the next 30 minutes or so, you will be equipped to discern for yourselves uh, how and if the science supports the, 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 the natural model versus the supernatural model. And in particular, we're looking at the science of the fossils, the supposed eight men, missing links. So you ready for uh, some investigation of missing links uh, this morning? I know it's not, it's not the usual Sunday morning stuff, but, but that's okay. Sometimes we need to take a break from, from preaching from God's Word and, and just to take a, a moment, a Sunday, a creation Sunday like this. Thank you for putting this together pastor, where we investigate the, the Word of God itself. And, uh, and so that way we can have more and more confidence that when we preach from it, when we listen to the Word of God, science backs it up and we can trust it even more. Well, that's my big long introduction. Sorry for dragging on. Um, but this is an important issue. After all, Paul, the apostle, said in 1 Corinthians 15, 45, the resurrection section, and so it is written, quote, the first man, Adam, became a living 
a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Here he's comparing the last Adam, and what's his other name? Jesus, uh, to the first Adam. So we have evangelical scholars that are going and doing what I'm doing right now at this church, but they're going to other churches and saying the opposite. And they're trying to teach church members there was no Adam. Adam was a myth. But I'm saying if Adam, if the first Adam was a myth, then what about the last Adam? I guess he was a myth too. They tie together like this. The Lord Jesus descended from Adam. He had to have been one of our kin so he could redeem us. He's our kinsman redeemer. And uh, so that means Adam was real according to the Bible. Question, is the science that supports this idea that we came from apes, is it so strong that we have to take this verse and chop it out of the Bible with our little scissors? Is, it, is the science so uh, persuasive that we have, to, uh, we have to say, well, I guess Paul, he knew some things, but when he quoted from Genesis as though it was history, Paul was wrong about that. That's what, that's what these uh, evangelical leaders are teaching. I disagree with them, folks, and I'll tell you why. We're going to use four examples, uh, for example, um, you know, fossil candidates, to illustrate three categories. And I think once you get these three categories in your mind, you'll be able to say, you know what, whatever, whatever comes at me in the news, whatever new fossil comes at me, I bet you it'll fit into one of these three categories that Dr. Thomas talked about. So that's where we're headed with this. So our four examples include Ida, Lucy, Homo habilis, Neanderthal, and then modern man. You know, that's just us. But I, I, so we're not going to talk about that one because you already know that one because you are that one. Um, but I have it up there. In this, what I call the fake parade. You know, we, a friend of mine did a poll of 20-something college-age students. And he wanted to know, and he asked the question in the poll, do you believe evolution? 90 90 plus percent said yes, of course. Everyone believes in evolution. It's fact. It's scientific. Well, what has convinced you of evolution? Was it the fossils? Was it dinosaurs? Is it it teaching on natural selection? Or or is it uh, ape men? And by far, the, the most said ape men. And so it's this fake parade. So, so in this idea, what this portrays is that you go from small to large, you go from hunched over to straight up by degrees, naturally. Uh, do the fossils show this? I, I'm going to argue that they don't. And as we do this, for each example, we're going to all have audience precipitation. Okay? So I'm going to have my uh, virtual golf ball on a golf ball mount virtually. And so you, I'm going to grab my golf ball and I'm going to stick it in the ground because we're going to tee it up with what the evolutionists are saying about this fossil when it first comes out. We're going to tee up the hype. So when I grab this and I say, let's, and then as I plunge my golf ball down to the, to the turf, you're going to all say, tee it up. Let's practice. Let's. Perfect. And then once, we'll, once we do that, we'll let the evolutionists themselves refute their own claims. How convenient. And then at that point, I'm going to grab my virtual golf driver club, and I'm going to say, let's knock it out. You're going to say, let's knock it out. I'll just swing, and I'll say, let's, and then you say, knock it out. Let's practice. Let's. Okay, let's. So we're going to tee it up. Golf ball, tee it up. Fossil Ida, extraordinary find, is missing link. This came out in 2009. 
big splash, National Geographic special episode on television, and uh, this shows our connection, says Sir David Attenborough, who, by the way, has a sir in front of his name and uses a British accent. We have to trust whatever he says. <laughs> you know. The more you look at Ida, the more you can see, as it were, the primate in embryo. Maybe he would say it like that. Now this guy, um, Jorn Hurum, he's the scientist who uh, didn't do good science on this, rushed to proclaim, to proclamation, didn't even publish in the scientific journals. Anyway, I, I guess we're still doing this, let's... Yeah. Uh, we're still teeing it up, I have an extra ball there. Okay, we've already teed this one up, but anyway. This guy, I will say, stands to gain fame, funding, and fortune if he can get this to be pictured in the textbooks for the next hundred years. Wouldn't that be great? Then his name would be in the textbooks for the next hundred years, along with his fossil find that supposedly shows our link to the primates. Well, what did he find? What was the science that was so compelling that it shows that we came from primates? Well, on the bottom... Uh, of this picture. We've got uh, just the legs of this new discovery, fossil Ida, just the legs. And it's got this weird sort of unique bent back leg. And then on the, on the top, I've got just the legs of a modern creature that is in the Dallas Zoo. And you've seen it on TV probably. The leaping primate that leaps. Have you heard of a lemur? Okay, so, so Urim stands to gain fame, function, funding, and fortune, um, and he says it's, the, it's our link, missing link, that's the tee it up. But then other scientists who don't stand to gain anything from it, in fact, they would be jealous of this guy if he did get the funding that they want themselves. They come through and look at the same fossil, they got a chance to finally look at it, and they said, uh-oh, uh-oh, no missing link. Of course, this didn't get a TV special. This just appeared in the tiny headlines, like the footlines of the, of the news media. Controversial. Well, why is it controversial? Well, because bone crunching. In other words, they looked at the shape of the bones, and they ran the numbers, and they said, ah, uh, this looks like a lemur. Okay, so let's... That's the knock it out part. Good job. We're, we're awake. Bone crunching debunks. It's, it's just hype. It was all just hype. So am I supposed to take scissors to Genesis because somebody because a lemur died? <laughs> a lemur died. You, you know what? You just hyped up a dead lemur into a giant story, and it was all based on nothing. It's a, just a dead lemur. So that's the first example of our first category, which is animal. Dead animals don't mean that Genesis got it wrong. In fact, it kind of supports what Genesis says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And um, then he says he created all these creatures, right? He created them to reproduce in between kinds over millions of years naturally. Oh, no, no, okay, sorry. My fault, I misquoted it. <laughs> he created them to reproduce according to kinds. So if it's a lemur, it's going to make more lemurs. So it's going to stay true to the lemur kind. And you know what this fossil shows? That lemurs have always been lemurs. So Genesis got it right. Okay, our next example is the famous fossil Lucy which is a nickname for Australopithecus afarensis. Australopithecus. So this is one of our famous uh, Australopiths, means southern ape. 
Um, so this is the picture that you see in the sixth grade public school textbook with, you know, and it, it shows for these sixth graders, it, it reassures them that they did not come from Adam and Eve, they came from Australopithecus through Homo habilis, and that's what evolved into humans. And you can see the progression of slopey forehead, less slopey forehead, and then up and down forehead. And that's the only part that they're showing. Well, let's look at, um, let's look at Lucy in detail, including what they said about Lucy when, sh when it was, well, when it was uh, first um, um, uh, described in 1974-ish. So we're going to take our golf ball and let's Okay, let's tee it up with the claims made about Lucy in 74 and that some, somehow linger, even though it's been refuted over and over. Well, the claim was that Lucy had a lumbar curve, a lumbar curve. So what's your lumbar? That's the, the small of your back, right down here. And so you have an ability to twist there, and whereas chimpanzees and other apes, they have a stiff back and it doesn't curve like an S like ours does. Their back has just a C-shaped curve from the neck to the hip. So it's a big C-shape, and it's stiff and rigid, relatively rigid, um, which enables them to do what? Stable balance when they're swinging in trees. So you need that rigid back in order to swing like trees. But what evolution needs is some sort of transition to, get the, to add some looseness to the back, to make the back more like a person or a human back. Human-like pelvis. Now here's the thing. When chimps... Uh, and apes walk, their knees are they're positioned outward, whereas our knees p uh, point forward when we walk, like this. Our toes point forward, unless we have some sort of a problem. Um, healthy humans, toes point forward, but chimps, toes point out, and they have hands for feet. They have hands for feet, so they can grab tree branches with their feet. Uh, and so that's, that's one of the claims about Lucy, is it had a human-like foot with no thumbs, for big toes, but it had big toes for big toes, like humans, and then a human-like knee. So those are the claims made about it, and we can look at what you need in order to um, change a chimpanzee into a human. So these scientists attached these nodes to different walkers, and so here's a guy walking, and the nodes track where he's going and what body position he's taking as, as they take steps. Same thing with chimp. There's a chimp uh, walking, and they can walk, you can see the, the hands for feet uh, move in there. Well, let's look at this and, um, and think about the differences because too often our media really focuses on similarities. Look how similar they are. They have eyes that point forward. Yeah, so does my dog. They have hair. So does my dog. Uh, you know, all these similarities. What about the key differences? So when I take a step, or you, let's say I'm going to take, um, take a, a left foot forward. Well, that swivels my left hip forward but I'm going to wind the spring by swinging my right arm forward, and that's going to bring my right shoulder forward, and that's going to twist my back. So every time you take a step, your back twists, and you wind up the spring, and then you release that energy with each step. Now, this is why you can run a marathon if you train. No animal can run a marathon. Uh, they're great at sprinting, our animals, but people just go on and on, and we're made to walk all day long. And we could do that because of the design of our lower back. Uh, now, chimpanzees, on the other hand, with that rigid spine and their legs out like this, you can see this one. When it takes a left step forward, its left hip goes forward, but so does its left shoulder. This is kind of fun, you know, walking around like this. You should, you should do my job. 
fun. Uh, do you want to demonstrate for us? Are you a chimp or a human? Hmm. Well, to demonstrate this, everyone's going to stand up. Thank you, thank you. Up, up, up. Now, if you're a real person, you'll be able to do what I'm about to suggest. Keeping your toes pointed toward me, toward the stage, you're going to greet the person or wall behind you. Without moving your feet, see if you've got that spinal flexibility. Hello, say hi, person behind you. Look at all the twisty spines. Woo! You're real people. All right. Now, imagine if you were a chimp or an ape, another ape, and you had to greet the chimp behind you. So what would you have to do? You can't twist your spine. Show me what you'd do. You got to take those steps. Very good. Taking, the, taking steps. Excellent job. Give yourselves a small hand. Have a seat. Now you see why they needed Lucy to have all these human-like features. Well, let's look at Lucy for real, the actual fossil discovered, Donald Johansson. The lumbar vertebrae that are supposed to be flexible, not even there. Okay, now this is bad science. It's worse than bad science. Science is supposed to be about that which is observable at least and repeatable at best. You can't even see something that's not even there. Okay, so that was a story based on hype, based on nothing. The inner ear, this is interesting, here's a difference between all ape skulls and human skulls. Our skulls connect to our spine uh, uh, in the bottom. So the bottom of, so here's the skull, the bottom of the skull has a big hole in it. It's called in Latin, foramen magnum, which means big hole. <laughs> okay, so your spine connects at the bottom. So the big hole's at the bottom of a human skull. That way we can walk with our, um, with our upright. We stand straight. We stand tall when we walk or run. In contrast, chimpanzees uh, and apes prefer to walk on their knuckles, so they have a locking wrist mechanism, which Lucy had, and then they, have, they walk on this, on this pad right here, so they, they like to walk like this, which means if their spine uh, connected to the bottom of their skull, they would be craning their neck up all the time as they walked all day. God didn't design them like that. He designed them with all the parts fitted and tailored one to another so that their spine, uh, their foramen magnum, is in the back of the skull. So instead of looking at slopey foreheads, because after all, I have a pretty slopey forehead, and you might look at me and go, you're kind of like a chimp. Some people have really slopey foreheads. Some people have really strong eyebrow ridges. But that's not the distinguishing factor. The difference, the, the distinguishing factor is the position of the frame and magnum and therefore the position of the organ of balance inside the skull. So the inner ear was shaped like an apes uh, in Lucy. And the, the pelvis that was supposed to be human was adjusted to make it look human. Um, and, uh, oh, you know that human feet that it's supposed to have? Well, Lucy had an ape-like thumb for a big toe. So anyway, that's a story. And the knee that was uh, supposed to be associated with this, notice that, let's see, if I do a laser pointer, would this show up? Uh, this part here, notice that there's no femur to connect with the top of this tibia, okay? And so how convenient to associate this with the rest of these skeletal elements. 
when in fact it was found in strata 200 feet beneath the rest of these and um, 8,000 feet away. Far, far away. Hey, this, bring this over. So the reason it might be a, uh, be looking, you know, the reason it might look like a human uh, tibia is because maybe it was human tibia. It doesn't belong with the skeleton. Now, our um, friends at the um, Creation Evidence Museum there in Kentucky, they have a, a anatomically correct model of Lucy on display there, and they cover theirs with fur, because after all, apes should have fur on them. But the fur didn't fossilize. The eyeballs didn't fossilize either. And what we're going to do is just let the evolutionary paleoanthropologists tell us what they're... So for one paleoanthropologist who says... Lucy is our ancestor. Another one says, Lucy's kind would have walked bent hip, bent knee, rather like a chimpanzee. So they were apes. In fact, let's go ahead and knock it out. Let's let them knock it out. Don't take my word for it. I'm just a crazy creationist. Solly Zuckerman, no friend to creation, says they are just apes. They're just apes. Okay, so a lemur died. Now an ape died. So if an ape dies, does that mean that we have to chop up our Bibles and reorient our whole view of history um, to make it fit evolutionary ideas? Absolutely not. So we have a second example that belongs in the same category as the first example. Dead animal. Dead animal. Okay, that brings us to... Oh, we have a side excursion to go through here real quick because there's some famous footprints. And when the Perot Museum was built downtown Dallas, I went, of course, everyone started to go with the Perot Museum. It's this big, ugly building. And uh, every level and every floor has a, a, a different way to repeat the mantra, the earth is 4.6 billion years old. It's on the elevator before you see the first exhibit, and it's on every single floor. Uh, it's as though they have to resort to rep repetition because there's not enough science to back that up. Um, and one of the displays shows the, this trackway. It's called the Laetoli tracks. So if you're into saying stuff and you want to say some weird name, say Laetoli. If you're not into saying things, then just sit quietly, I guess. <laughs> That's fine, too. So uh, they're in Tanzania, there's these, but the thing is about these tracks, they look like human tracks, hu tracks humans would have made, but they're down in these supposedly Lucy layers. So the evolutionary idea is you've got Lucy, our ancestor in layers below, and then Lucy's kind evolved into something that was closer to human in the layers above, which represent eons later. And then eventually our ancestors that are more human looking, in fact quite human looking, are in the layers on the top. So you go from ancestor to descendant as you go up the layers. That's the idea. But now we have what looks like human, and it's already down in the Lucy layers. It's in the wrong place. So what's the evolutionary rescuing device? To rescue evolution from the facts? <laughs> the device is to say, well, whatever made these footprints what couldn't have been humans because humans didn't evolve till up here, so therefore there was a walking ape. So they say, Lucy walked like a man. Um, so here's the idea. 
Lucy in layers below, and the humans are supposed to be in layers above. But in this case, the human footprints are down in those Lucy layers, and there's the difference. This is the Laetoli track. You know, it's like the it's like the um, the kids program. Which one of these is not like the other one? Human toe points forward, and then we can look at modern um, science where these where these um, scientists use super technical scanning devices to look at the Laetoli tracks again, even though they were uncovered and described in the late 1970s. Direct evidence of human-like bipedal. That means walk like a man. That's walking like a man. <laughs> Someone was walking like a man, and that's what made these Laetoli tracks. So what we have is um, modern human evidence down there in Lucy layers, and we're going to show you some more of that, which means that the fake parade is fake. And you know what else has been discovered since 1974? Lucy types of fossils way up in the human layers up here. So you got apes up here, apes down there. Humans up here, humans down there. There's no evolutionary order at all. So we get to, let's knock it out. It's a fake parade. What props it up? If, it's, if the fossils don't support it, this story, what does? Well, I'll show you what does. Check this out. I took this picture of the model of Lucy on display at the Denver Museum. Look at those eyes. <laughs> Boy, there's something about those eyes that are persuasive and, frankly, really creepy. <laughs> where, where did those eyes come from? And they, of course, gave Lucy a, a twisty spine and human feet, none of which are in the fossils. Human hands, human feet. Lucy had eight feet. More discoveries of more Lucy types, Australopithecines, showed that it was a knuckle-walking ape. Couldn't stand like this at all. Anyway, it didn't have those eyes. So let's look at some of these eyes. On the left, then these are, these are uh, on the left is a, um, a model. A, 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 an artist made this based on a human skull found in Australia. So that's, a, that's a dude who, who died, dude who died. And um, he did have big eyebrows. Some people today have that. Anyway, so it makes sense to put human eyes inside a human skull when you're going to make a model. And there's a lady. Um, the only thing she, well, she's got human eyes. For some reason, the artist gave her a mega nose. Do noses fossilize? This is soft tissue. It's cartilage. It, it rots. Eyeballs rot. Eyes don't fossilize. So why are they putting these these mix of soft tissue parts into these. And then the next one with the white box around it, that's an ape skull from fossils now, but with a human eye put in it, human eyes put in it. And then there's the actual gorilla I had to go find a picture of on the interweb. And uh, you notice these hum the difference between the human eyes and the ape eyes? Human eyes have the whites of our eyes visible. Animal eyes don't, whether it's dogs or cats or... I mean, there's a little sliver of the white of the eye. It's called the sclera. But they don't use it like we do. So, who has daughters? Who, who is a daughter? Okay, so if you've had daughters or are a daughter, you know how the whites of the eyes work. <sighs> Mom, don't even have to say a word, and you've communicated a whole sentence. 
just with the whites of your eyes. Gorillas don't do that. So if a gorilla is going to look, like I can look at you, sir, front row, but I'm facing you. Okay, but I do that with my eyes. And you know what I'm looking at, and so do you, just by looking at my eyes. Sorry to be creepy on that. <laughs> What's he looking at now? If, an, if a gorilla's going to look at you, whole face, whole body oriented to what it's looking at. Okay, and so that's, that's how they do it. In fact, there's a study done just a few years ago, kind of funny, uh, but these scientists were, were trying to figure out how do chimpanzees communicate with one another. Um, and uh, so they showed chimpanzees in a room a picture of other chimps. They took pictures of, of the chimps in the group, and they showed them a picture of the face and of the other end. And uh, it turns out that the chimps recognize the other end far more often and better than... So literally, when ch that's how chimps recognize one another, is by the shape of their... You know, it's got all these funny folds of skin and everything. Anyway, are you Sue or Bobby? Turn around, you know. <laughs> and, that's, and that's how they recognize one another. They don't even see faces, and they, and they don't communicate with all these uh, subtle means of communication that we can do with our human and uniquely human eyes only people have. So why do we propagate this myth? Is it a myth? That, did, it, did some ape ever have human eyes? Well, no, today's apes, none of today's apes have human eyes. Um, and here's the motivation. He finally admitted it. Did John Gersh, the artist... He said, I want to get a human soul into this ape-like face to indicate something about where she, this is Lucy, he did a model of Lucy, where she was headed. Where she headed? In his mind, in his imagination, she's headed toward becoming human. But there's no actual science for it. So he's not saying, the data demanded that I put a human soul into this ape-like face. The science suggested, nothing like that. I wanted I just wanted to do it because I want to show that there's evolution going on here. It's only going on in his mind. The actual fossils don't show it. So we get to move to the next one. So let's tee it up. So Homo habilis is the next one. And if, you, if you're going to say we came from Lucy, like creatures, submit, humans, you've got a lot of anatomical adjustments to make, and you've got to make them all kind of at the same time because if you, if you put a locking wrist... It ain't going to do me any good. In fact, it'll hinder me from being able to do what I do with my hands. If you're going to, make, uh, if you're going to take the locking wrist mechanism away from a, from a chimp, then it's not going to have the stability to walk on its knuckles. So, so where are the transitional forms? Where's the transition from being able to walk on your knuckles? And then if you change the spine, the, the position of the foramen magnum, you change it to more like a human. Well, now you've got a knuckle walker who looks down at the worms all the time. Uh, and uh, and he's, he's going to have a rough day. So you have to do a whole suite of changes from toe to nose and every bone in between, and not just the bone, but the soft parts. What about those eyes? Let's say you give a chimp some human eyes. Will it have the software to know what, to, what it all means? I mean, they're wired. They come out of the box, so to speak, wired to recognize one another based on their rear ends. I mean, that has to be completely reversed. And so how are you going to get that? Well, enter Homo habilis. We need this. We need a transition to go from ape to human, and we don't have anything. Homo habilis is our best shot. It started out in 1959 um, uh, with uh, some um, ape skull uh, fragments. 
that were found in Africa with, uh, with stone tools. So their conclusion was, here we have ape skull fragments. So there was an ape, the ape parts are here, but there's tools. Conclusion, the ape was using tools. Okay, now that really helps evolution to have an ape that uses tools because that means it's becoming more human-like. By the way, the ape thumb is way back here and they have a rough time with tools. Um, what's another hypothesis? How else could you get human tools mixed with an ape skull? Raise your hand if you got an answer this morning. Yes? Apes were where men were eating food. People got hungry and they ate apes. <laughs> Monkey soup. Delicious. And they did find human remains later on in the same area. So, but it was reported in the literature, in nature. Um, Ape-like ancestor announced OH7 is the designation for the famous fossil found in Old Divide Gorge in Tanzania. Um, and it's the, this is it. This is the best possible missing link. Problem number one. There was a fully human skeleton, just like we have the Laetoli tracks, which are fully human footprints down in those Lucy layers. Fully human skeleton way down in those layers also. And they um, and discovered in 1913, and paleoanthropologists don't talk about it at all. It's not in the books, it's not in the magazines, it's not at the Perot Museum, and it's not on TV. So I'm letting you know that there's a fully human skeleton down in those layers, um, just to make sure that we understand that, that there's humans up here, humans down here, apes up here, apes down there, and it's all jumbled up, and there is no fake parade. Uh, found in L Old Divide Gorge, which has what? Thousands of animals mixed with... Uh, human bones, animals' bones mixed with human bones. But you know what? Don't take my word for it. Oh, I've got a picture of Frankenstein. You know, the story of take an arm from this guy and a head from that guy and a brain from someone else and just sew it all together and zap it with lightning and now it's alive. So it's kind of like that where we take, um, you know, eight parts and human parts and pretend like they belong together and pretend like it was alive. Uh, Robinson considers that the original Homo habilis was a conflation. Confla that means confusion wasn't supposed to go together, of ape parts and human parts. Homo is human. So Homo habilis is too variable to be a sound species. This guy says it's, it's, it doesn't even deserve a name. It's not really even an it. Okay, so we get to knock it out. You don't have to be a paleoanthropologist. All you have to do is read. So what did they say in the beginning? Lucy, our ancestor. Homo habilis, our ancestor. Well, just read on, because you'll find someone else who says, nuh-uh, and that someone else doesn't even believe in creation. Tattersall and Schwartz, no friend of creationists, say Homo habilis is an all-embracing wastebasket name. A whole variety of fossils can be conveniently, conveniently swept into it. Uh, similarly, the transition from, this is from Australopithecus to Homo, the transition that wasn't, uh, a recent paper published in 2015. It's usually thought of as a momentous transformation, but the but the uh, fossil record of this supposed transformation is virtually undocumented. There's no fossils that help us tell this evolutionary story. So we have the three categories. The first category was animal, and the second category is going to be a conflation of animal parts and people parts together, or animal bones with human tools together to make a story. So that's our second category, animal plus human. So the first category was what? 
Animal. It's a dead animal. Does that challenge Genesis? No, in fact, it confirms Genesis. Animals reproducing according to kind. And now this one is uh, just a conflation. It's a mixture of animal parts and human parts. Does that challenge Genesis? No, but it does confirm the Bible, which says that we suppress the truth in unrighteousness, Romans chapter 1. So what better idea to push God out of our lives than to pretend like we came from ape-like ancestors? And if we don't have evidence, we'll make it up because we are so desperate to get away from God. And that's what the Bible teaches and suggests, and that's what, our, that's what my colleagues sometimes do, mixing animal parts with human parts together, pretending it's a real thing and it's actually not. Which brings us to our final example, the old Neanderthal. So let's tee it up. Well, this is a picture that I took from the Time Life book on human origins that I read when I was growing up in the 1800s, <clears throat> way back then. And so there he is, and he's shorter, and he's brute-like, and he's ape-like, okay? And that was what I was taught. But since my childhood, um, more evidence has come in, evidence that, um, that I think every Christian should know about, to put Neanderthal right back in his place where he belongs. Well, the genome, we've been able to sequence, uh, secular colleagues have been able to sequence the DNA from Neanderthal, and they found that it's human. Human DNA, 97% match. Um, now, here's a maquette of, of one. It's, it looks like a real dude, but anyway, and this is on display at the Field Museum in Chicago, and I remember walking around the corner into this next room, you know, and then there's a little 10-year-old, roughly aged girl in front of me, and we both, we walked in the room at the same time, saw this guy staring at us from behind a glass box wearing a grass skirt, and it's like, whoa, hey, who, who are you? <laughs> and we both kind of took ourselves aback, and she had like a notepad, and she was like doing something for school, and I said, and I looked at it, and I looked at her, and I said, you know, because Chicago's got people from everywhere, I mean, all kinds of folks. If you gave this guy a haircut and put a suit on him, you wouldn't even recognize him walking the streets of Chicago. And she looked at me and looked back, and she goes, you're right. <laughs> yeah, nice to be right. So let's knock it out. Um, let's let the evidence knock it out. They married moderns. How do we know? Because the hum they buried, they're dead, so the, their Neanderthal burials have modern-looking human remains in the same burial site. So they intermarried uh, moderns, buried alongside moderns. They cooked food. Uh, animals don't do that. They made jewelry. Animals don't do that. They buried their dead. Animals don't do that. Their remains overlap with moderns. Just said that. And they shared 99.7% of, of their DNA with moderns. They had, they had um, musical instruments. Animals don't do that. They had tools. Animals don't do that. Uh, which, which leads me to um, this question. What about if they're 99% modern DNA, what about the chimps are supposed to have 98% modern uh, you know, DNA matched to you? Um, well, our geneticist, Dr. Jeff Tompkins, has refuted this uh, in, a in a variety of different ways. Basically, it's fake news. Um, and it's easy to demonstrate. How big is the chimpanzee genome? It's, it's 3.2 billion bases, billion with a B, like banana. And then how big is the human DNA, human genome? Three billion bases. And what's the percent overlap? So right there, it's 94% similar. So how can you be 99% similar if you don't even have 94% of DNA, of raw DNA? So obviously there's something going on. 
Well, Dr. Tompkins did the actual base-by-base -base comparison, showing that it's 84% similar, which means evolution needed to have generated um, millions of new, of new genetic code all by chance. Okay, so you can detail, you can look at the details on the genetics in this new book uh, by Dr. Tompkins called Chimps and Humans. Anyway, my point today being that Neanderthal men were men, Neanderthal women were women. These are descendants of Noah that dispersed from the Tower of Babel, and they lived in caves, and maybe, and they definitely buried their dead in caves. What were people doing living in caves? Were they evolving? Uh, no, they, they, they were just, you know, guys who lived in caves. What would you do if you didn't have time to build a house yet? You'd find shelter, especially during the post-flood ice age when times were cold. You want to find somewhere you can survive. So our ancestors, some of them, lived in caves across the Middle East and elsewhere until they were able to build different structures and live different places. So Neanderthal people were people. And that's it. Those are our three categories. Uh, so, so it's either animal, example, Ida, or Lucy, and oh, this one came out in the news, Artipithecus ramidus. But remember, you don't have to be an expert in this. You just have to be able to read. So what did they say about Artie? Well, they teed it up with special editions of the journal Science. News blasted uh, Artipithecus, our ancestor. And it had hands for feet, <laughs> and it was an ape. And so about a year or two later, other evolutionists came out and said, we don't think Artipithecus was our ancestor at all. And, and you know, but those guys that refute it, don't stand to make fame, fortune, and funding, um, and they're jealous of the guy who did. Anyway, uh, so the second category, animal and human parts mixed together, like Homo habilis, Java man, which was a, a, an, ape, uh, an ape jaw that was associated with a human skullcap from Java Island in Indonesia, and turns out that they, it, was, it was an ape part and a human part, and they don't belong together. Piltdown man was a story told about a tooth, and it turns out uh, that it was a pig's tooth. And, um, but, but 40 years or so, for, you know, worth of uh, stories were told about Piltdown and Java Man and all these. They, they were just um, animal parts and human parts, or hoaxes. And then, of course, cavemen are just men who lived in caves. Humans, fully humans, Neanderthals, and then Homo erectus, um, just a person. Um, and then Hobbit is the nickname that paleoanthropologists have given to um, to a fossil uh, in uh, Indonesia, Homo floresiensis, but it was just a tiny person, tiny people, like the actors who played hobbits in the movies Lord of the Rings. They're like four foot tall, that's this high, four foot two, something like that. And so tiny people, does that mean we evolved from tiny people? No, because there's tiny people today. Well, are they, are they less because their brains are smaller? That means they're dumber? Nope. It's the wiring, not the size. So tiny people have just as smart brains as us. And um, well, let me, let me zap through, and I, I do want to share with you, we brought plenty of resources to get, for you to get equipped, but I want to, let me land on this just to say that after I investigated, let's say, a dozen of these fossils, I found these trends. Every time I investigated a fossil, it turned out that it fits either it's fully animal, or it's fully human, or it's an illegitimate mixture of human and animal parts put together than they shouldn't be. I thought, that doesn't support evolution at all. That leaves Genesis intact. 
That means God got it right when he wrote down our origins. That means I can trust what he said about our beginnings, and I don't have to trust what these secular guys who have a bias against supernatural, a bias against God, and a bias against the Bible anyways. I don't have to go with what they say. The science and the fossils back up what we see in the Bible. Um, so let me just zap forward to some of those resources. And uh, you don't get to practice. Uh-huh. Sorry. Okay, contested bones. We brought this with us today. This is the Cadillac of this discussion. So if you want to learn more about the fossils, this book has it. All the details of all the major supposed missing links of, in human ancestry is in contested bones. Um, now, this book, Creation Basics and Beyond, we brought that with us today also, um, Creation Basics and Beyond, has several chapters that deal with human origins and these fossils. Uh, but it's shorter than the big, uh, the big white book. Uh, but if you get Creation Basics and Beyond, which I think every Christian library should have, you also get answers to dozens of other questions, like what about the dinosaurs, and what about the Ice Age, and what about radiocarbon dating, and all these questions. Uh, so we answer those questions in CBAB, Creation Basics and Beyond. Uh, and then Creation Basics is a family level. So if you're going into college or know someone who's going into college, Creation Basics and Beyond. If your family have kids, Creation Basics covers all, answers all those same questions, but with full-color photos uh, on every page. Uh, we, if you want to have a, um, a video resource, we have that too. This, this one, um, Made in His Image, is four episodes we spent, I'm not going to tell you how much money we spent producing them, but we haven't recouped those monies, and we never intended to. We wanted to get a high-quality resource available for churches and, uh, and groups to, to have the confidence to know, whether you're looking at your own hand, there's an episode on the hand, there's an episode on birth, what it takes to make a baby, and all the specifications and all the design requirements that we see leave the viewer with absolutely no doubt that the invisible qualities of God have been clearly seen through that which he has made, Romans 1.20, so made in his image. And finally, uh, our free magazine, Acts and Facts, goes with our free daily devotional, Days of Praise, and we have sign-up pads in the back, so you could sign up for those also. And then remember, if you get any of these resources, including this book, I don't have a picture of this book because it's too new. I, don't even get, I didn't get the photo of it yet, so it just came out, Chimps and Humans. Whether you get Chimps and Humans or um, Creation Basics and Beyond, every resource that we have comes with free cellophane wrapping. <laughs> right here. Totally free. Well, please hang out. Look forward to the next service, and we'll, uh, I'll tell you my creation conversion story where I went from evolution to creation. So spend some time with our book table, and I really appreciate it. I don't know about you, but I could just say no break, and let's just keep going. Appreciate so much, uh, Dr. Thomas, being with us. Why don't we have prayer, and then, like you said, like, visit the book table, and we will try to begin at 1030 for our next service. This afternoon, I, I think, with the dinosaurs, you know. Anyways. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for our time together, and uh, we thank you, Lord, that... Um, Dr. Thomas is here with us. We thank you also that Juan and Kristen are with us. And we just thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to worship you today. Thank you for um, your creation just affirming 
that there is um, one creator. And uh, we love you and look forward to our next time together in Christ's name. Amen.